It's condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I am Ryan Beach, and I am joined today by my good friend, Dr. Matthew Vangel. Is your middle name, I'm going to guess your middle name. Good luck. Is it, well, can you give me the first initial, or do I just have to guess it? I think it'd be more fun if you just guess it. I'm going to guess Alan. No. Matthew Alan Vangel. All right, my next one is Matthew um, Stephen Right first letter. Whoa. Okay. Matthew Samuel. What's it? What is it? Scott. Scott. That's good. They chose better than I did. <laughs> um, I'm here with Matt Vangel. Um, full disclosure, we recorded about 35 minutes of an episode <laughs> before this, and then my computer for some reason shut off. So we got to do it again. But this time it's going to be even better. And if it's not, just know we had a really great episode going before <laughs> it ended. <laughs> Um, Matt is, um, a great, great player. I've heard him for a lot of years and especially in the Fountain City Brass Band, but recently I've been able to have him play in the Alabama Symphony and it's always been a pleasure having him out, but I especially want to, uh, abuse his, uh, teaching knowledge today on this episode, specifically related to embouchure changes. He himself has gone through a couple embouchure changes and he's taught, uh, helped, I guess, many people through embouchure changes. So, I feel like we should just create a resource together for people who uh, are going through embouchure changes, teachers who should diagnose embouchure changes but might not feel like they know when to do it, how to do it, how to encourage somebody. Just, I, I think it can be something that people are afraid to do, yeah. and um, myself included. And I don't, I, I don't want people to feel that way. I want knowledge to be out there. And I know you've had a lot of, um, a lot of experience doing this, so. We should get started. Well, first of all, thank you for being here. That's my pleasure. Thank you yeah, for having me. Of course. I mean, this is your house, so thank you for <laughs> having me in your house. This is my second road interview, which is pretty exciting. Anyway, long enough intro. Let's get into it. Let's first start with your experiences um, with an embouchure change and um, kind of why you needed to do it, who helped you through it, kind of what you got from it, that kind of thing. Sure. So I guess it starts with the fact that I had a bad embouchure when I started in sixth grade. It was instrument trial night and the lights were off and there was a movie playing and one of us got up at a time. My brother played trombone, so I knew I wanted to play a brass instrument, but I didn't want to play the same thing as him. So I, I picked up a trumpet first and the very first note that came out that I played I, you know, was a G above the staff, just right on top of the staff. And so the teacher was like, you should play that. But there was no, the lights were off. She had no idea how I created that sound. Um, and no one gave me any instruction. Is this a common thing at that school to do instrument trials in the dark? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't know anymore. It's, I haven't been there in, in years, uh, decades at this point. But, um, but uh, I hope, I, I hope not. Their policy. I hope not. I hope not. There's there's a very there's a great way to do instrument trial nights, but that could be a whole other uh, yeah. topic. Um, but so essentially, what I had done was I I used like maybe you know an a tenth of an inch of my upper lip right, to create right. this sound. Sorry, I forgot to say this. I said this last time too late, and I did it again this time. It's okay. This is going to be a pretty trumpet-specific episode, and, and it can relate to other brass instruments. So um, if you're listening, I'm sure there's going to be some entertainment value, but this is going to be pretty geared towards trumpet playing and 
and helping understand when and how and why to move embouchures and stuff. So if you're not a part of the conversation in terms of lips and mouthpieces and embouchures, I'm really, really sorry, but uh, hopefully there's still some entertainment value. So anyway, keep going. Yeah. Or if you're going to teach a trumpet player, if you're a music educator and you happen to not play oh, trumpet, this could angle. be really helpful for you. Um, <laughs> just knowing what to avoid, maybe. Uh, but anyway, so I started with very little of my upper lip and I, I was able to make a good enough sound and I practiced a lot. I loved playing. It was something that I really enjoyed. And my friend, I had friends that did it. So we did it together a lot. And so it was, you know, it was, it was this thing that I spent a lot of time doing. So I got good enough to make, you know, the region district state bands in Virginia, all that sort of thing. Um, and then when I went to audition for college, uh, I, I only auditioned at two schools and um, I, I auditioned at uh, University of Tennessee and Kathy Leach told me, uh, you know, hey, you need to change your embouchure. And I said, okay, okay. And then when I was at James Madison University, uh, I auditioned there as well and I didn't really get any feedback, but I didn't get into the school. And that was crushing for me, you know, somebody who had been an all-state player and, you know, top of my band for sure. Um, and, you know, it was it was uh, sort of a wake-up moment. And when I was in 10th grade, Vince DiMart- I had a les- lesson with Vince DiMartino, and he told me, you need to change your embouchure. <laughs> and, you know, my band director said, no, you can't do that. You're our high note guy. You know, because I could, I could play high notes. Uh, they weren't great high notes, but they were pretty good for a high school kid, you know. Um, and I think that's that's one of the difficulties is that you can get good enough on a not great embouchure, you know, to make it through, certainly graduate from high school for the average student. You can get good enough on that. But, um, yeah, I didn't get accepted at JMU because I'm pretty sure they didn't want to have to change my embouchure. Mm. So, uh, so. I was fortunate enough that I, I'm in a situation where my parents could support me at not working that summer. Uh, so I took that summer off of work and uh, I met with my teacher from my freshman and sophomore years of high school, Nancy Taylor, who teaches at UT El Paso now. And she was in the Marine Band at the time. And I said, she was like, I'm going to be in town. And I was like, can you just meet with me? You know, and we spent like a couple hours together, four days in a row. And she sort of got me on this new path. And, uh, and then I spent you know, six to eight hours a day, honestly, playing every day, like trying to get this thing to feel normal and and to sound good. And so she essentially just moved my mouthpiece up so that I had more of my upper lip in the mouthpiece. So you spent six to eight hours a day playing. That's what you did at that point. Is that what you recommend for people to do? Um, Honestly, yeah, it's, we can get to that, but that seems for someone who's restarting and kind of rebuilding musculature around a new sort of way of doing things, that seems like quite a bit right out of the gate. Yeah, I'm, and and again, the thing is, is that the the a lot of that practice. When I say you know play six to eight hours, is practice is a better word to use because a lot of that practice was me practicing placing the mouthpiece on my oh, face I gotcha, I gotcha. and just feeling like it was normal. Um, but if, if ever, you know, I, I was smart about it. And, you know, if I ever got to the point where it was like, I feel very tired either, you know, I wasn't uh, aware enough to know that you could be mentally fried, right, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, cause I was, a, you know, inexhaustible 18 year old. <laughs> um, and, 
Uh, so I would just be like, okay, I'm just going to practice doing like breath patterns and I'm going to place my mouthpiece and just practice blowing air through the yeah, mouthpiece. Yeah, that makes sense. That so makes sense. Yeah. it was a lot of that sort of thing, but I would play, I, I would play as much as possible. Yeah. The only reason I ask that question is I think it can be uh, a very common thing for people to think if I'm going to make this change or just work in general, not even really related to an embouchure mm-hmm. change, but specifically related to it here, the idea that more is more. And not less is more. And I think especially in that way with new musculature, it can be overdone and you can kind of not do more harm than good, but kind of starting slow, making sure everything is right. Everything is perfect, I think. And then, you know, gradually progressing into doing more and more and more. We'll probably get into that later, but I just wanted to ask that question because it seems like that's what you did. But would you do it the same way? Yeah, I mean, I did. I even spent a lot of time like that after the second embouchure change, which I'll get to, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain why that was. But essentially, it's it's making sure that you're balancing. You know, when you're trying to fix anything, you need to do the right thing more than you do the wrong thing, you know? And so that was why I ended up, while I was in school, like trying to have more time in the practice room doing those things. And And, you know, when you first change something, we're talking about it's like the lowest impact, the lowest stress notes that we have to play. So, you know, I may have spent, you know, two hours playing a G in the staff, right? You know, yeah. not, not consecutively, but over the course of the day, you know, um, or, you know, and below. So there were notes that weren't necessarily sure, requiring yeah. a lot of that me. Makes sense. So it was okay to spend that time sure. there. I love the way, um, I, Jenna and I, my wife, Jenna, who's also a trumpet player, we went out and hung out with Whiff Rudd this summer and like for a couple of days and just had a trumpet hang. And I love what he said. He said, he was just like, Whiff oh, Rudd yeah. teaches at uh, Baylor University, Treats, teaches trumpet at Baylor just for anybody. Who's right. Like, Sorry. I just assume everybody knows him. Cause the he's, thing is, is like, it's so like, weird you know. doing a podcast is so weird because you're just trying to have a conversation, but then you say something like Whiff Rudd and people are like, well, who's that? Who is that? And then that? you forget that you got to like tell people who might not know. So uh, if we end up saying yeah. somebody's name and they don't know, I'll just put it in the show notes and we'll figure it out. Great. So from here on out, we may not explain who everybody is. <laughs> but it's fine if you do. It's always a nice little breather. Mm. Um, but we hung out with him and he said, he said, yeah. He's like, you know, it's good. It's good sometimes. Just you need to go have a party. <laughs> you need to go have a party in this range, you know, and like spend, spend a lot of that time there. And I, I just think that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, like, it's interesting. Have fun, be creative, but sound great in the range that you can, in the range that sure, you can yeah. play. So, so anyway, that was essentially what I did that summer. And then I got to JMU, I did the ensemble auditions because I was going to go there and I was going to show them. I changed so you, my I remember you had everything. said you weren't, a, you weren't in the school. I was not. I, you were I, just, you went to the school. And then... I was accepted to the university, not to the, to the music program okay, school. Yeah. So, uh, so I went and I auditioned and, um, they had had somebody that, you know, my teacher said, oh, we had somebody drop out. You know, so we have a space in the studio and you've done some really great work over the summer. So, you know, I'm going to accept you. And so that was like, yes, you know, first. And I think that's an, an important thing to experience when you're going through a change like that is to have that first success. Sure. You know, that's something that's very, very important. Um, and I remember I remember my first successes where I actually felt like 
I did it. I did something and, and, and had that happen. Um, and, and had the, the right thing that I thought should sure, happen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, not something happened. The thing you wanted. Right. Yeah. The thing I wanted to <laughs> Anything could have happened, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Many other things do happen. <laughs> um, but then I got to my first lesson and he said, you know, you did great, great work. Um, he said, but it's not quite right. You know, it's not quite there yet. And I don't remember what that embouchure was like. Um, but my guess is that uh, I was still resting my mouth, like my mouthpiece somewhere in the flesh yeah, of my lips. It wasn't quite high enough. It wasn't quite high enough. Yeah. So we moved it just a little bit higher. So it was then resting on muscle. And and even like immediately I was like, oh, my sound has like some more body, some more core, some more like life to it. So you just sounded better immediately. Yeah. Um, on the notes that right, I could the notes play. that you can play, right, right, right. <laughs> right. You know, which were, you know, at that point, maybe like it's a It's a good distinction below. to make though, right? That yeah. there, there was improvement, but you have to sort of be selective about how you define improvement. Right. And, and I think, again, when I get to that, I, I always stress that with my students and I won't leave them. Like if I'm changing somebody and it's a first lesson of that change, then I'm just like, nope, we are not leaving this until you find this, you know, the sound that we want, that you want to have, that I want you to have, you know, that we find that and you're able to produce it repeatedly, you know, consistently in that same way. Yeah. I'm not going to leave you until you can do that. But on like one On one note. note. Yeah. One note. That, yeah. That, when we start out, that's that's where it is. I feel like that was a way uh, Barbara Butler, she teaches trumpet at Rice University, <laughs> and she was at Northwestern. She taught me at Northwestern. She's big about that, too. Like, I remember that from her lessons. You know, we would spend our time doing one thing. You know, it's yeah. been 50 minutes talking about how to do this leap correctly, a low note to a high note. But I would leave knowing and I could recreate it. And I think that's right. such an important part of any kind of progress, of yes. course, but especially something as physical as an embouchure change. I imagine like feeling confident. I know where to place the mouthpiece, feeling right. confident if I put the mouthpiece there and then release the air in this way, I will make this sound and being able to recreate that is a pretty key component yeah. for being successful. Absolutely. And then teaching it, making sure that you're giving the student that part of it. Right. So you did this embouchure change with your teacher at JMU. Right. And it was a little bit more difficult at that point because, and this is true for trying to correct any old habit for anyone in school. You have experienced this where you're trying to change something in your playing, but you have to produce today when you go to your ensembles. You know, you it, you have to be able to play that music right now. And so you're sort of balancing, like making it happen on a daily basis, but then also trying to make these changes to replace these old habits. Right, because sometimes the demands of the ensemble can be greater than what Much you're capable of. Much greater than what of, you're yeah. capable of, absolutely. I was fortunate, I was so fortunate in my very first semester that after that ensemble audition, which I'm told was was good, that I was very last chair in the very last band. So, and he did that on purpose, and it was it was so that I, I he knew that I was starting over, right, right. and I wasn't going to be able to... Um, I really wasn't going to be able so to play out of staff. Yeah, if it wasn't outside of your range, it wasn't very far. Right. Yeah. That's very nice of him to do. It was very nice of him. Yeah. I didn't feel nice at the time because <laughs> I don't think I understood that. But yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I was sort of going back and forth between these two embouchures. And uh, yes, full disclosure here, sometimes three embouchures, because I found out that I could play a really, really loud, like G above C, like off, way off to the side and really low on my lips. So, I, you know, occasionally in marching band, if they, you know, felt 
felt kind of crazy, I would just go ahead and, you know, do one of those. And that was a terrible thing to do. You know, when I look back at it now, I'm like, what an idiot. Um, but it was fun at the time. Uh, but I, I got to a point where I just didn't, you know, I, I, I was hitting a wall with my range on my actual embouchure on, on the, the one that I wanted to use. And, uh, and I didn't sound good on the other one because I was only using it in, you know, marching band, um, where I felt like I had to, you know, I had to contribute. Cause I'm one of those people where I'm like, I have to do this. You know, I have to contribute. I have to be a leader, that sort of thing. So I was going back and forth and I finally was just like, I'm, I'm not sounding wh- what I, how I want to sound on any, either one of these embouchures. So I just cold Turkey quit the other one at Christmas break. And, uh, just 100% switched. And then I started, I noticed that I made like way faster progress, even though I had to take some things down an octave, which by the way, if you're not good at octave transposition, just change your embouchure. Then you're going to have to take things down all the time. <laughs> and then I got really good at reading things down. An octave. <laughs> That's hilarious. But seriously, don't do that on a whim. Um, <laughs> but so it, it ended up being, uh, you know, I, I started making a lot of progress then. And I remember one of my first successes was I, I played in the very first brass band at James Madison University. And yeah, they have a, like an awesome bass, brass band yeah. program. Yeah. Yeah. And so cool. It's they got second place at the North American Brass Band Association Championships this year. I could not be more happy. I was yeah. like, this is how I always wish that it hope that it works out. Like Fountain City gets first and, you know, JMU gets second. Yeah, that's incredible. Um but I, I remember I played my jury at the end of my first year and uh, uh, the tuba professor there who also conducts the brass band, his name's Kevin Stees, he said, he said, why are you not playing in the brass ensemble? Because I played, I, I played uh, the Pines of Rome offstage solo, but I played it on B flat trumpet down. A, so it was like, oh, nice. as, it, nice. as it's written in C. So it was like down a step because yeah. I couldn't play above a G. Um, so it was one of those things that I was, I was sort of a reach for, but I had a, a good performance of it. And he said, why are you not playing in my brass ensemble? And I, that was one, that was a win, you know, that was a win for me to have yeah. somebody hear it and be like, this guy wants me in his group. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then he put me on flugelhorn, which was perfect oh, for me Yeah, because I didn't have to play. You yeah. don't have to play high. You know, you don't have to do that, but there was enough technical stuff that I had to spend a lot of time practicing it. And you have to have a beautiful sound on the flugelhorn. Yeah. You can't play it like a trumpet. And a legend was born. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the rest has been written, right? <laughs> if only there was a flugelhorn major somewhere, yeah. I would have done that. For those that don't know, Matt plays flugelhorn with the uh, Fountain City Brass yep. Band. And uh, it's just it's just some of the best flugelhorn playing that can possibly be done, really. I mean, well, thank you. it's just it's incredible. Just very lyrical, very beautiful. But it's, yeah, you've had a lot, obviously, a lot of it, time doing it and stuff yeah. like that. So. Usually doing something a lot will help you get better at it. <laughs> mind yeah, mind blown, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, so sorry. So I made it. I made it through that stuff, and then I, I things really started clicking for me by the end of my junior year and like my first semester, my senior year. I was like principal in the orchestra, and you know, at the top of the top of the ensembles. So you had um, kind of made it through. I felt like I had made it through to a point. There were there were things that I still felt were, were shortcomings. One of the things that comes slowest usually is you know range and endurance, just like any normal trumpet sure, player. Sure. They're always striving for that. At this point, I felt like, 
you know, uh, piccolo trumpet was not my thing. Uh, playing really high, really loud, sustained stuff was not really my thing. Um, <laughs> and but I, I could do it way better than I I used to be able sure, to, yeah. and, and certainly I was one of the better ones at the school at that point. And it all started clicking for me uh, the end of my junior year, and then once I started student teaching my at the second part of my senior year, then I wasn't playing in ensembles anymore. So all of the time I was playing, I was reinforcing good habits, reinforcing and- all these good habits. And so then when I went and applied to all these schools that I didn't even know, I knew nothing about schools, like what's a good school or whatever. And so I ended up uh, serendipitously at Michigan. And once I got there, I felt like I was, you know, physically solidified enough to where I could, I could really get coached up on like musical things and learning repertoire that I didn't get because I couldn't play that stuff in my undergrad because I just didn't have the range or or whatever. Yeah, I think it's uh, sort of something that uh, hopefully can be encouraging to hear from you that there's anybody listening to this right now to these words currently, and they're going through an embouchure change that you, you basically, you know, nose to the grindstone, keep your head down. Like you will get through it and you will get to a point like Matt just said, where you'll start being able to work on repertoire, but actually being able to like improve and things like that. And you'll be able to start talking about musical ideas and things like that. And so the grind is worth it basically from what I understand. I mean, I've not gone through an embouchure change, so I had a grind, my own grind. And so if you're in an amateur change, it's basically we all have our own grind. Yours is just the path that you're taking to get there. And mine is my path to get there. And it doesn't mean you can't get there, but that um, you just have to keep working, basically. Just so I'm, I don't know if you have any words of encouragement for that kind of thing. Yeah. I, well, one, I would say... Um, you know, that everybody goes through an embouchure change of sorts, you know, rather than than thinking of, you know, the dreaded embouchure change, like, oh, I'm gonna have to blah, 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 restart. Some people have to change the way they articulate. <laughs> you know, some people have to change the way they breathe. Some people mm. have to change, you know, the way they're using muscles in their face, the way they're using muscles in their body, you know, like what you think about, you have to have a mental embouchure change. <laughs> like, how are you thinking about yeah, things yeah. before? So if you just think about it, like any skill set change. Yeah, it's it just requires potentially, potentially a little bit more patience and a little bit of focus on on the positive things, the positive outcomes that you're already experiencing from day one. Well, and it's one of the few things we have that's kind of a... a a majorly physical change, right? Like right. articulation and stuff like that. That's all happening inside of our mouth and conceptual changes inside of our our head, obviously. Right. So I guess that's maybe what makes it so different and yeah. um, so unique and kind of challenging to do is that um, there's like an actual physical component, which we'll get to in, in a little while. I'm going to let Matt rant about how to do all <laughs> that stuff. But just want to give a word of encouragement that it's yeah. totally possible and that's an interesting way of thinking about it, yeah. I think. And and the thing that I, I think about now and and I use this phrase a lot with my students that are going through this is that once you change your your setup and you're able to consistently create this sound in this way, you know, once you've made it even even just started your embouchure change and you're consistently able to produce that result on one note, you are the best trumpet player that you have ever been on that day. Like every day I wake up and I am the best trumpet player I have ever been because that's the best G I have ever played in my P- life. Your personal recording every, every day. day. You know, uh, that's a pretty good feeling. It, it's a great feeling, and I think if you can focus on those things, you know, just e- even when you're struggling and you're like, oh, I can't play this high, you know, right now, but my F on top of the staff and below 
sounds the best that it ever has, you know? And like, I'm playing that the best that I have ever played it. One, because it sounds the best that it ever has, but two, because everything's right and it's going to help you produce a sound in the, you know, most, I say, healthy, effortless and consistent way. You know, easy, relaxed, yeah. and being able to have perspective in the middle of the weeds, you know, right. I think is, yeah, that's going to be incredibly helpful. And obviously you're trying to see as long term as possible and yes. you understand that it takes a long time, but sometimes it can feel overwhelming that it may be not getting better on your terms. Right. I think that's a big part. You have an idea of what you think should be happening and then there's what's actually happening. And sometimes those line up, but I imagine a lot of times they don't line up the way you want them to. And being able to have any perspective and any way to manage your expectations like that, thinking, all right, I've PR'd today. <laughs> yeah. That's a win. And yeah. tomorrow I'll try to do that again. And if I PR every day for 10 years, I'm going to be the best trumpet player in the world. You know, like yeah. kind of having that thought process and like taking the little wins in the moment for the long-term benefit, I think is a very healthy way of looking at it. Yeah. And uh, again, like I think that's... What... Kind of for anybody, right? Yeah. For anybody, not just embouchure changes. Anybody who's anybody. working on anything, mm-hmm. but especially with something like an embouchure change, like you said, that might require a little bit more a little bit more patience in that in yeah. that way of it, it can happen slower. Yeah, and and I think this comes down to expectations, right? Because nobody ever goes through an embouchure change until they go through an embouchure change. So you actually have these unrealistic expectations for, well, I, I will be back to my old self by blah, you know right. whatever time. But the truth is, you'll never be back to your old self, and you don't want to be back. That's to a your very old self. true statement. Yeah, you know? your your expectations are yeah, such great point that it's like. I should be able to do whatever and should just should should be eliminated. Right. You know, like you have no no concept of how long this is going to take or or and and that's why it's good. I think that's why this uh podcast will be good because it sort of will give some people some perspective of how long, you know, things could take. Or, so there's just no answer you know, there, right? There's it's not. just whatever it is for you. It could take yep. 1 week, it could take 5 years. Yep. I've had students that like make, you know, do a change. And within about, you know, a month, they're comfortable up to a certain point. And they're, you know, like to a B flat above the staff. And then like, I've had students who after two years are like coming in the lessons, asking me how to play high Fs, like, because they've got everything below that. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. This is awesome. And it's, it's, it just, and then I have some students that, you know, choose not to do the work that they need to do that. And, and not, not so many anymore. I mean, at my current job, that's certainly a possibility, but it's a possibility that people don't want to do, like we get them set up and then they don't do the work that's necessary. They don't spend the time that's necessary. They don't, uh, they're not thoughtful in their practice. And then, and then they have a beautiful sound on about an octave. Right. But they can't play outside. Of right, it, right. You know? and so there's definitely going to be some just work. Yeah, there yeah. is work. You need to know, that, you know, anybody who's thinking of doing this or thinking of taking someone through this, um, it's work for both both the teacher and for the student. Uh, way more work for the person going through it. Yeah. Um, and they need to know that it's work, but they also need to know that there there is there's always a light, you know, at the end of the tunnel. And that's that's and there's always positive stuff happening every day. And it's important to find those things. I had a student that went through an embouchure change. Uh, Brett, if you're listening to this, I'm talking about you, bruh. He went through an embouchure change, and I don't know what his playing was like before it because I heard him only after it. Um, but he struggled to play the trumpet, you know, and, and it didn't necessarily make it immediately better. You know I mean? It was better than what it was. And I think even for him, it was hard. 
he didn't want to do the work because I think it was hard for him to convince himself that it was going to be worth it at the end yes. of it. So we had lots of that was almost more what we talked about more than anything else was just like it. You should try to do the work because it will be worth it at the end of the process. And he put on a recital that was, I think it not shocked, but it surprised, you know, the, the committee, the jury committee, whatever that thing is called. Being like, I can't believe he put together like a 30 minutes worth of music and he can get through it and he can play it. And he basically decided at minimum, I should really try to put together a good recital. You know, who knows where it's going to go in the rest of his life. But he did do it and he played great, you know. And so that's a big part of this, I think, is convincing yourself that it's worth it to go through the embouchure change because I will end up in a better place versus right now everything feels fine. Right. I don't want to go to I don't want to do the effort like will it even matter, you know? And so yes. you're going to, I know you're going to be able to speak to this because you've had a lot of successes in helping people overcome that kind of thing. But I imagine it can be as much of a mental battle as anything. It's, it's way, way more a mental battle than yeah. a physical battle because yeah. I mean, even the physical thing that you think is a physical battle is actually, you know, a mental battle because you're, you're fighting. This feels uncomfortable, right? You know, this feels weird. You're not, it's, you know, even if you're producing a better sound, it's that it doesn't feel good, you know, or it doesn't feel comfortable yet, or it doesn't feel the way it used to. Sure. It feels yeah. unfamiliar. But yes, the the convincing people or, or students that it is worth it is, is crucial. Like, and I, I do that, I do that before we ever even start. I'm like, you, th- these are the reasons, you know, that you need to do this. And it's going to be difficult and it's going to take you some time. But if you work, you will get past this and you'll be able to do these things that you've never been able to do. So they need to buy in 100% before you even start, if you can. Some people won't buy in 100% and that's okay. They're going to question things. But, you know, the scenario I present is, okay, so you're hitting a wall right now. Right now you are hitting a wall and I'm telling you, you, you know, physically you're not going to be able to get past this. And, you know, so you can do this work, you know, you can change this and you can do this work and maybe you'll get back to right where you are right now. But I can pretty much guarantee you're going to get a little further than that. Yeah. You know, based on just the way things work. Sure. sure. You know, like yeah, you yeah. will get better than that. And, you know, you're going to be able to sustain that. You know, uh, and most people will say, you know, I, I just, I, I just tell them if they're still on the fence about it, I'm like, give me a month, you know, give me a month and you do everything that I ask you to do and then let's reevaluate. And usually after a month, they're like, I don't feel pain anymore. <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. I don't so- with that in mind, I think now is as good a time yeah. as any to dive into the weeds, so to speak. And kind of talk about when to do one, how to how to figure out that one should even be utilized, what the difference between just I need to work more and we right. will not see any progress if we don't change something. So for both student and teacher, I know Matt's got his computer in front of him. He is, well, that's technically an iPad, excuse me. It's okay. He has his iPad. I'm not going to edit that out. We're doing it live. <laughs> Good. Um, so he's he's just got a whole presentation, basically. And I, I might interject with some questions here or there or some thoughts, but I'm just going to let him roll with kind of giving a, a mini masterclass in Amisher changes and all the things uh, related to it. But right before we get to that, I'd like you to do the same thing um, that we did in the previous episode that was deleted is talk about also your teaching 
and how you're sure. also basically not only from a performing standpoint of your own performing, are you qualified to talk about this, but how much work you've done as a teacher to help people through and the successes you've had. So we have a full range of understanding that like you're a very knowledgeable person. You're not just like, I did an embouchure change, so I know what I'm doing, right? right. You, have more <laughs> of an, you have more expertise than what worked for you because you've seen it work for others as well. Yeah. Oh, I always get like weird about the word expertise because I feel like that means that I'm saying I am an expert and I can say that I have a lot of experiences for sure. And I've had, a, a, it's very weird to be able to say, but I've a hundred percent success rate as far as being able to get someone to put things in the right place and create a healthy, free, effortless sound. I think that's as high as you can get. Yeah, I think so. I don't think it goes any <laughs> higher than that. But. I still, you know, I'm, I consider myself still a learner and still, still working through things. And, and even now, um, it's less frequent, but I still get students that have different issues than any I've experienced. Cause I mean, I've only really been teaching for like, I don't know, like 10 years or something like that. So which, I mean, that's a long, yeah, that's kind of a long Barbara time Charlie to be doing been teaching for 40. I know. We just figured that out yesterday. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I hope, I hope 40. to be there. I hope to be there. I really do. 40 um, years. But uh, yeah, I, I think, again, I, I'm, I have more experience with students doing this because I went through it and I know how to get somebody through it. And so I'm willing to do it more. Yeah. Like you, you said, and, and a number of teachers have talked to me before where they say like, I'm hesitant to do it. I don't know anything about it. I'm afraid to do it. So, um, so I actually do have, you know, at least, I don't know, probably like 15 students or something that I've taken through this process. Um, which again, to me, doesn't seem like a lot, but somebody who's been teaching for like 20 years might not even have that many. Right, there right. are some that I've talked to that are like, no, I've, I've done like three. So, um, so I'll just share my sort of experiences and, and things that I do with my students. It is not the way it is a way. And but it's a good way but because I you've think had it's a lot a good of success. Way. So that should be, yeah. you know, an amount because there's no yeah. way anybody can say about anything, I am the expert, right? right. But if you had a 100% success rate and you're playing the way that you play right now, we should all, myself included, especially <laughs> myself, be listening to what you're about to say. So yeah. anyway, I just want to put the disclaimer out there. But yeah, sure, sure. We always have to do that, but no worries. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, yeah. and roll it out, man? Let's do it. So why would somebody need an embouchure change? Uh, the there are a handful of things that I'll talk about, but um, the first thing that you need to do is you need to observe the student long enough that you can determine whether something is a, you know, a today issue or a pervasive issue in their playing. So, and some of these issues, it, again, it shouldn't just be the first thing, you know, that you say, up, oh, you have a bad sound today. You need to change your embouchure, you know? Um, but if they never have a good sound, there might be an issue. So, I mean, I don't know if you can answer this, but is there a length of time that you have sort of developed that you say before this, I don't know, after this, it's probably indic indicative of an embouchure change? Yeah, it depends on, it honestly depends on uh, how their face is set up. There's a lot of this is also like, you have to observe visually. So it's not just about how they sound. Mm -hmm. Um because if they're doing something like straining, you know, or, 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 or squeezing or there's way too much tension or anything like that, um, you know, like unnecessarily to play like, a, you know, a C below the staff or something. If somebody looks like they're, you know, going to explode playing that <laughs> note, there, you know, there's probably something yeah. wrong. And it could be tension. It could be a, a number of things. But that's why you have to observe. And I would say um, 
it depends on the extremeness of like their setup to me. So if somebody's got this really crazy, like off way off to the side or super low or something like that setup, and they have never sounded good for like, I don't know, I might, I might give them at least, um, Usually I give it at least a semester if I'm honest. Oh, okay. So, so like quite quite some time. Like at least like a couple months for most cases. Yeah. Because I need to rule out that it's not an air thing. I need to rule out that it's not like a tension thing or So you're just treating him like any other student at that right. point. This and, is how I would fix that kind of issue, this yeah. kind of issue. And then if it doesn't seem to improve, maybe then it's deeper. Right. And then and the and the good thing I think about doing that. And usually I start that process with students in high school. Once I know that they want to like pursue music and, and do something then I say, okay, these are things we need to do. And we're going to, you know, I'll teach them. I'll teach them for at least a semester and then say, okay, this is what I'm looking at. And this is what I think you should do. We're going to wait till the summer. And then we're, we're, I'll lead you through this and we're going to go through this. Is this something you're considering with every single student you work with? Um, I, I like, do you, is it in the back of your mind with every student that not even like, basically if there's any problems, do you immediately like, not that you're going to tell them they need an armature change, but if they have issues with air or with sound or with range or with stuff like that, are you automatically thinking I'm now looking to see if it's something physical like that or does it come later? I mean, I immediately, the, the first thing I do, you know, I can't help it, you know, is, is look at someone, mm-hmm. um, look at someone and see how they're set up. And if it's, you know, if it's, if it's off, then that's immediately something that I'm, I'm thinking of. But, um, I know that there are professionals that play these ways and they, they have careers and they sound great and blah, blah, blah. I think the trouble is I don't know, you don't know the longevity of those things. Of course, yeah, you don't know, yeah. you know, who's going to get whatever playing injury when they're 50, you know, or when they're 60 or whatever. And then why is it that some people can play until they're dead, you know, <laughs> without like any injuries, yeah. you know, so to speak. So, so I don't know. It's uh, a lot of it comes down to that to where I'm, sure. I'm, I look at them and I say, okay, let's see how you look. And then I'm, judging, you know, how they sound and like, where are your gaps? And I ask them a big question I ask them is like, you know, do you feel pain? Do you, you know, are you hurting somewhere like beyond just the, Oh my, you know, whatever, my corners are tired or, you know, whatever. The normal, my, well, yeah, the normal, normal stuff, things, yeah. normal stuff. But, um, but yeah, th- then it's, it's like, I, I try to uh, address those other things. Like, okay. I also noticed that, you know, you're like gripping death grip on the trumpet, you know, um, like let's fix some of these other things so that, you know, we have a general approach to the trumpet. Um, and, and they're, they've already, they already know that they shouldn't be doing these other things so that when they go to do the embouchure change, it's like just this one thing that they have to right. focus on. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Whereas sometimes it's so extreme that it's best to just like, like clean the slate, right. you know, just wipe yeah, the slate yeah. and be like, you need to forget everything. And we're just going to, they are playing their trumpet with their nose, with their nose you or their probably yeah, should absolutely. do an embouchure change. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, definitely. But I mean, the, the things that I, that I look and listen for are things like, um, pain, 
and numbness, or I'll have students that say, yeah, you know, when I play really heavy, I, I need to, like, I can't make a sound the next day. And mm, yeah. that happens, you know, here in Louisiana, it's, there's this really heavy, like parade culture and like, you know, like brass band style thing. And so it's like bands are playing parades and in these parades, it's just basically playing as loud as they can for, you know, an hour. That's how I would do it. You know, I mean, that's how you, it's, <laughs> that's what makes things exciting, you know? And, and so they, they, you do whatever you have to do to make that work. And so, um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, the issues that I see, they're, they're generally pretty similar. Um, but they'll, they're resting on flesh and then they have to like take days off. So the swelling goes down sure, so that yeah. they can have response again. Um, but so that's one and, and tiredness in places that aren't constructive. You know, if it feels like somebody punched you in the lip, there's probably a problem, right. you know, and, and it could be just excessive pressure, but, um, you know, that's again, you, that's why you have to observe long enough to make sure, okay, you know, this is, this is a thing. It's yeah, not, yeah. Gotcha. it's not just that. Yeah, um, or sense. if you like hit a wall endurance wise or with range or something like that, or, um, or if you have like, uh, we've talked a little bit about this, like junk in your sound, mm-hmm. um, all the time, or maybe you can't play quietly with a clear sound, or maybe you have no flexibility whatsoever. That was one of my big issues is that I was terrible at navigating through the range when I was, when I was down there, I had no flexibility. So, um, or if you have like a, a, you'll find a lot of students that have like a clear sound, which is fine, but it's very small. It's very thin and it's dead. There's like no life to it. There's no ring to it at all. And yes, sometimes that can be an air thing or a tension thing. Yes, it can absolutely be that, but, you know, coupled with, you know, um, you know, once we work through some of those air things and then coupled with what they're doing physically on their face, um, you know, that's that's generally can give give you a better idea of right. whether this needs to happen right, or not. Right. So it's it's not usually the first again, I now I don't usually it's not the first thing I jump to, but I am always like in the like back of my mind of aware yeah, of it yeah. and like it's something that I'm like, you know, mental note, like I put it in their file. I'm like, we, you know, keep observing this, sure, make sure. sure that this isn't a thing. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how in depth you want to get about like what you need to do or like to change one or, okay, so you know, what you should. Let's, uh, let's speak now to, um, like a professor, like, and like the, say someone who's a teacher and needs to diagnose this, like what's their process? Like to say you have now decided this person needs an embouchure change. Right. How do you go about doing this? So it's going to benefit them and it's not going to like make them overthink everything. You know right. what I mean? Like, how do you get this? So it's like going to help them and be beneficial. Well, uh, and this is the other reason that I think it's really important uh, to observe the student for long enough um, is so that you get to know that student and you know how they are as a learner and you know how they are in the practice room so that you can gauge, well, I should give them all the information or I should give them none of the information yeah, and just use yeah. my Jedi mind tricks to like get them <laughs> to do the right thing, Yeah. right? Um, and I, I generally, if I err, I err on, which I do, I'm not saying I don't, but if I err, I err on the side of giving more information that is, than is potentially necessary. But Do you think in this case... One 
like in this specific case, do you think one side is like, do you think giving them all of the information is generally better? So they kind of know where they're headed and they understand why, or do you think there ever is an application for, I'm not going to tell them what's up. I'm just going to change his embouchure, but not explain what's going on. Yeah. I think, I think in order for them to buy in a hundred percent, they need to know why sure they're doing the thing so they more information probably more information so they need to know why but they don't need to know you know you don't need to get really specific about how the muscles in your face work sure with, sure. with somebody you know i i don't have to do that I, I generally when it comes to the actual playing i i try to keep it and and this was a mistake that i didn't make before i was like i was like i know about all how all these things work so let me explain to you you know yeah. and it, it was it just ended up being um too much information. And, and again, depending on the students, there will be, you know, I have certain students that there is, I could not put something out there simply enough for them to not overthink it. (laughs) You know, there's just, there's just no way I could, they're like, because if I don't say something, then they go on the internet and they read a bunch of things, which, you know, could be great and could not be great. Sounds like Chris Larios. (laughs) So, you know, it's, uh, who is a trumpet slash cornet player with uh, President's Own Marine Band. Gotcha. That was just, just for him, yeah. <laughs> just for Chris. Um, so then with that in mind, with that idea in mind, what information, when giving someone this thing, what information is essential then? If you were going to say, you, you want to cut out all the filigree and you're going to say, I need to tell them what they need to know, what, in your opinion, what is, information is essential for them to, to give to a student so they buy in? Right. So the the main thing to, to the main information to give them is uh, is basically that I find that is is most beneficial for them willing to buy in is telling them the walls that they're hitting and like what changing will allow them to do. So, so you kind of paint a picture of the future. Yes. And say, that's really, and don't yeah. you want, like, you want to be able to create this sound. You want to be able to play this. And a lot of times, again, because I've gone through it, it's, it's nice to be able to say, look, I couldn't do like, I played like you and now I play like this and I play for, you know, I can play things that they're trying to play. And I say, and you can do this, you can sound like this, you know, and, and I know you can sound like this because I'm going to take you through the process, the same right, process right. that I went through, you know? Um, but I, I think again, just saying you're hurt, you know, you're not going to be able to sustain this forever and you will, it will be fun and enjoyable to play the trumpet. You will and be, sound good. Yeah. you will be excited because you will sound good yeah. and you'll be like, I want to do this more. And like, so that's, that's the big thing. Your enthusiasm is contagious and your like belief in in the promise of the future of sure. of, of their career sense. is is contagious, and so if you approach it like that, I think that's the the biggest thing is getting them in the right mental state to be able to survive the grind and the roller coaster of ups and downs of the first you know however many it might be a year first few months whatever so that's like the 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 essentials of the mental side of this mm-hmm. right what do you think are essentials of the physical side right all right so here what, we go yeah <laughs> here's the stuff all right <laughs> um so the th- this is just 
sort of uh, a, a baseline thing, right? It's different for each person. Everybody's, you know, teeth are structured differently. Lips are different sizes, whatever. But um, the thing that I've been doing that seems to help a lot is um, I, I try to give them, again, you know, not just the sensation or not just hearing of the sound, um, but also like, you know, I, I try to make it relate it to something that they naturally do already. So again, when you're doing this, have a mirror, have a recorder, you know, a video recorder or, and or audio recorder, but make sure that, you know, it's something that they can see, hear and feel. Um, so as many senses as, as possible. many senses as you can. I mean, even if you can smell a good sound, then good for you. <laughs> like try to figure out what that is. But, um, you know, so that they get as as much of that. And then they have as many of those cues, especially in the beginning. That's the most important thing is that you are consistently doing something. And so you have to make because you can't always just trust the way you feel. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> like we all know that. Right. Doesn't uh, you know, sometimes we. You can't trust that. But anyway, so the things that I look for are um, I just try to make it as simple as, okay, blow air, you know, and then they'll they'll blow air. And I say, okay, and if their lips are like a little too spread apart, then, okay, I might say, okay, now blow, you know what, non-trumpet, like just blow fast air. And then they do this thing where they, and I go, perfect, perfect. You are built for the trumpet. Like that is a perfect trumpet embouchure because nine times out of 10, it is, you know, and sometimes you have people who are like, you know, squeezed way over to the side or like doing this excessive setup thing. And they're like, and they're essentially like blowing air, like Popeye, you know, like uh, out of the side of their mouth. And, and like, and, and I just, I'm like, okay, so blow air, you know? And, and once they do that, they're like, oh, it just comes right out of the center of my mouth. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. So why? Why do you think it would be more efficient to like scrunch everything up and push it over, you know, to the side and make that, make it that way? And they go, oh, <laughs> you know, it's usually like, well, oh, okay. So I start with that. And then um, it should be, again, like less of the, I think, I think we've gotten away from this, but there's, there are some people who still use the, the phrase like, oh, your lips should be formed in a slight smile. I avoid that at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm more, on, <laughs> I'm more from the, the, the poo camp, um, to where it's, you know, just cause that's how our lips would naturally be formed if we were blowing fast air or creating a smaller aperture. Sure. Um, and then, uh, beyond that, like if it's shaped like that, I usually just take out the lead lead pipe and then I place their mouthpiece a couple times and I just make the things I'm looking for is that the inside rim of the mouthpiece rests outside of the flesh of both lips whenever possible. There are some times where somebody has like a really big lip. If it's going to be in a lip, it is way better for it to be in the lower lip than the upper lip, okay. right? But it's it's just barely. Most people... Most people, even with like your so average, so it definitely needs to be above piece. the top lip. Definitely above the top, okay? Because that's that's our vibrating lip, right? And so, and and that's what changes like the sort of core of your sound. You're you're diminishing the vibrating surface if you if you lower that, um, and that's. So that's just basically how you know where to put it. Yeah, as you start with trying to get the whole inside rim on the outside of the fleshy, like the pink, the red, whatever yeah. we call it. Yeah, yeah. And if you have to, if the lips, someone's lips are so big, you start experimenting with getting the lower lip being in the fleshy part a little bit, but keeping 
the top lip above it at all times. Yeah. I, I would say that to, to me, to me, the top lip is absolutely most important. The lower lip just sort of acts as an anchor yeah. for, for me. And, and I think, um, and this is supported by watching, you know, lead trumpet players and stuff like that as yeah. they press, like you'll see like Maynard and stuff like that. It's kind of like a downstream, yeah. like it, and like a lot of pressure a will go on, on the, the bottom of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and again, there are a number of, of really great, like, you know, methods for how to start somebody on something. So like if you have a favorite or if you have a thing that works for beginners, essentially embouchure changes are just starting beginners again. But it's it's this process of making sure that they're consistently doing that and not um, and not letting those things creep in. The number one issue you have with people who have lower, you know, had lower mouthpiece placements before is as they start to build their range, the mouthpiece slips down just like it did when they first started playing. Um, and that, and that's the thing that you have to just be hyper vigilant. And that's of. like where a mirror can be really helpful. Yeah, a mirror yeah. or, and a record at this point, everybody's got, you know, most people have smartphones. So right. like I, I, I use that like constantly with my students. I'm sure. like, I'm like, here, look, here's a video of you doing it right. You know, yeah. doing it correctly. And so you know, make it look like that. And look, that's a good place to start. Yeah. yeah and that's a great place to start. So you're, an, I've heard you say this before, but I would like you to say it here. You're basically under the assumption that if the mouthpiece is in the right spot and they're releasing the air properly, they can make a professional quality sound. They can make a beautiful professional quality sound. It might not be comfortable at first. And so you have to work in the range that they can right play so it, it's it, not going to be on a double g but you no. should be able to do it maybe on a g in the staff yeah my the yeah the way i approach this is like we usually start with something around a g maybe it's an f maybe it's an e and and i i like the thing that i i find that helps a lot is like i have them blow that air and i just take the tuning slide out and i will place their mouthpiece um and to where they're just blowing air and i place the mouthpiece on their lips in the place where it's you know where it looks pretty close to right or whatever. And I just, I'll place it all over their lips so that they're not like trying. Sorry. I, I did that again. Did you bump it again? I bumped it again. I'm sorry. It's all right. Um, this, uh, I'll place it like all over their lips so that they're not like trying to like move their lips to, to meet the mouthpiece or something like that. So it's just training them not to respond and sure. not to try to correct and not to try to make it feel like it used to. Um, but I do that a bunch and then eventually like place it in, in a spot and it's like, boom, and sound comes out and they go, yeah, like, like it just instantly happens. And I'm like, trumpet playing can be that easy. Mm. Like it can be that easy. Yeah. And so it, it just, it responds really nicely. And then we will spend a lot of time doing that just on the lead pipe, like just cause they don't have that, like all of those, uh, uh, you know, old feelings and old thoughts about like what the trumpet should sound like. And they're not worried about hearing their sound, you know? Um, and I, I, I should, I should put a caveat on all of this with someone I'm, I'm assuming we're talking about college students. So I'm assuming that a really, really great concept of sound is already there, mm-hmm. right? That because if that's not there, they don't have a chance no matter where the mouthpiece right. is developing placed. that as a different podcast episode. Right. But, yeah, that, that's, but, a, that's a totally different thing, but they're, they need to know what it should sound like sure. before they are trying to make that okay. sound. Yeah, yeah. It's the same way I approach, you know, like music stuff, like I said, but anyway, um, but yeah, I, I, I do that to where it's like a lot of lead pipe stuff. And I might just have them do that for the first week. You know, I might have them do, I'm just like, Hey, just mess around. It's cool. Like be, you know, like try to place 
and you get to the point where you're placing it and this like sound just happens, you know, instantly happens. And then like if it gets really comfortable and you feel like you can do some glissing around then do some glissing around. But we're always coming back generally to that, like, you know, concert E flat, concert D, you know, something like that. We're coming back there. And um, and that seems to that seems to really help. And it, it it's it's a way to sort of wipe, wipe the slate as far sure. as how I should be producing sound, because yeah, yeah. they've all if you've if you've had one of those sort of messed up armatures, then you are used to trying, you know, like trying way more to produce something that should just naturally right. happen. So if a student is able to just focus on their embouchure change, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like they're not in school or right. something like that. That's kind of why we're putting this out at this time because school have just gotten out. And summer is the yeah. best time. Right. So if they're just starting and they're messing around with this thing and they're able to do everything perfectly every single time, mm-hmm. what length of time have you experienced that it'll become comfortable that feeling will become quote natural feeling if there is a general length of time i mean there's it's it honestly depends on how much you do that thing per day you know so what's the fastest you've ever seen it become comfortable from talking to a student um this is this is actually really fascinating it's mostly uh it's usually my students who are primarily jazz players um they Mm. just play more yeah they just and they'll play in the range and they'll improvise and they'll like just do what they can in that range because they're used to sort of doing that and used to playing for like longer stretches at once, I suppose. And they're they're not just sitting down like going, okay, here I go. I'm going to play a long term. You know, they do that work. They do that work. But then on top of that, they're, they're much better about reminding themselves why they play the trumpet, you know, and why they play music. They're like, ah, you know, I'm going to do this. So that was, again, I, I, I had two uh, just in the last couple of years and one of them, Within, you know, we started at the end of the at the end of his senior year. He came up and and we we did a thing over the summer. And we when he came back over the summer, he he could already play like he was back to like G on top of the staff. And by the end of the first semester, he was up to B flat on top of the staff. And you know, he's gained another like whole step or so, you know, up to this point and you know, or minor third, another minor third up to this point. And so that's been a year, yeah. a year and a like essentially, essentially a year that, yeah. that it's taken him to get back to that. Right. So, but as far as him feeling comfortable right. with it placed in that place, I, uh, it, it varies, but I would say if you're doing it every single day, probably, uh, you know, maybe a month. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know? Just for that idea that, like, you're going to spend a month and it's not going to feel awesome. Yeah. So you're going to have to be really diligent about every single time you place it on your mouthpiece or your mouth. Uh, it's exactly the same every time and that you're releasing. Yes. You're basically, yeah, you're going to have to be incredibly disciplined and diligent for a little while, like a month or whatever it ends up being, but it will get to a point where it feels more natural and you can just find that set. For me, I just have the set, right? Right. I just like set it on my face. I know exactly where it goes. But if you don't know, or if I was to, to redo that, I would, at this stage in my career, I'd be very, very careful every single time I put it on my mouth. Yes. Because I want it to take as little time as possible. Yes. And and you have to be, and then you have to re-engage that uh, sort of uh, vigilance as you're expanding your range, because right. that's going to be the area where it starts to, yeah. uh, you know, where you start to do old, old things or bad things to make something happen rather than finding the correct, right. you know, the healthiest the, way to the do healthiest it, yeah. way to do it, the correct circumstances for it to allow it to happen. 
All right. Do you have more? Oh um, man, I got so much more. But oh wow. No, it's okay. Um, we're at uh, an hour right now. Holy cow! <laughs> well, you're asking. You know, I spent years on this. Well, I know, right? I know. So, so it's it's it, we don't have to go. I mean, we'll go in as in depth as you want to go. But it was it's mostly just what I was hoping for. And and if I'm going to tell you what I'm hoping for, and you can tell me if we've covered it, I would like a resource for people again who are teachers and they are unsure of how to diagnose one, or if they know that they need an embouchure change, how to go about feeling confident of which steps to take to make it happen. And then also for students, we've kind of already covered this, but just encouragement for continuing, like we're talking about being diligent, being disciplined in it, that that's an essential part of this. You're just not going to like fall into accidentally maybe kind of getting better at this kind of thing at yeah. anything on the trumpet ever is going to take discipline, but <laughs> right. especially this because it's so physical and it has, like you said, it has so much to do with how it feels Yeah, versus just like executing. We'll tell you what, I think, I think what I have here, let me, let me, I've got some bullet point things please, here. Please. Let me, let me go through really quickly since we're already at, a, at an hour and I'll, I'll, I'll just put some, some of these things out here in case we haven't talked about it just to make sure. Um, Cause I have some questions I want to ask because, you at the end. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I sort of broke it up into uh, a couple different sections. So what if you are a student, uh, something that you need to do if you want, if, if you're going to go through this process, number one, get a teacher. If you don't have a teacher, get one um, and preferably someone who has helped someone through a change before. But if not, then uh, just someone who is who will do the research and will do what you know, do what you need. Um, get a mirror, get a recorder and then. To the best of your ability, excuse yourself from playing ob- obligations that require you to play incorrectly or to rush. This is why I love the summer. The summer is a great time to do that. It's slow time. Um, and then immerse yourself in in this thing. You know, uh, you can read books about how to play the trumpet better. You know, like allow yourself to to really get into that so that. Even if your teacher hasn't given you all the information, then you can still you can still find resources to do that. Watch videos of great trumpet players. Watch videos of yourself. Look in the mirror when you play. Listen and just be be immersed. And it's okay. It's okay to do that and and sort of be take that selfish time uh, to do that. Um, uh, I, I mentioned uh, uh, with saying already with Rudd's like have a party like play in the range that you can play as much as you can you know while still being healthy and and creating the best sound that you can. Um, one of the things that I love from this masterclass uh, uh, Hardenberger gave Hucken Hardenberger uh, who teaches at. Where he's in, uh, he's in like somewhere on a different continent. So he's like he's on another we, planet. We don't know where that yeah. is. <laughs> Sweden, I no. think it's in uh, Norway. I think. Norway, okay, yeah. So he's on another. Sorry, planet. Hokan, if you're yeah. listening. Oh yeah, to this, Hokan. I'm sorry. So sorry, I totally even said his first <laughs> he's name. Not listening to he's not listening. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, but anyway, he said this great thing, and and this is how I feel. He says, "Start over every day. Yeah. Be as like you know diligent and 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 observant." in your setup every single day and in how you're playing. I don't think that just so we're clear, I don't think that stops as soon as your embouchure change. Oh no. I think of that's, <laughs> I still that's that. actually all I think about now yeah. is how I set up on the trumpet. If I feel like if I set up properly and I commit properly to the sound I'm trying to make, 
I just don't make mistakes very often anymore. But when I make mistakes, it's because I didn't commit right. or I bre- I breathed differently or the mouthpiece like felt, you know what I mean? Like it's a setup issue for me now more than it is even like a, I can't, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's very weird. Absolutely. I actually think many, 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 many problems on the trumpet stem from what you did right before you started playing. Yeah. And so when you, what you learn from this amateur change will not stop and you actually might be better off because you went through this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have, uh, you know, I developed the steps that I needed to develop in, uh, when I was changing my embouchure and I still do it before every single entrance I play. Yeah. I have four steps and it's just M set, breathe, sing or breathe, play, you know, whatever. I'm just like, so, you know, M was the thing that I used to think of to like get my mouth in the right position put the mouthpiece in the right place, set deliberately placing the mouthpiece in the same place every single time and then breathe and Yeah, that kind go. of discipline over the course of a long period of time is what leads great players to being great. It yeah. has very little to do with the fact that they're really good. Yeah. It's those deliberate decisions that made them great. And so what we learn from that is if we want to be great like those players, all we have to do is be deliberate and diligent and disciplined. Oh, I just came up with something right That's there. That's a good one. Yeah. Deliberate, diligent, diligent and, and disciplined, disciplined. with oh. everything that we do over a long enough period yep. of time and we can we can achieve those kinds of things. So yeah, it's turning something like an amateur change into an opportunity to learn lifelong things like Matt was just describing. Yeah. So when when you're doing this, uh, again, I think it's important to find a process like that. You need, you know, a lot of people can describe things in different ways. You know, you can take my thing if you want, if that helps you. But um, you need to find something that allows you to have that sort of consistent setup and that consistent sort of probably also a different podcast episode, too. Yeah, probably. But um, and then we've talked about this a bunch, but your goal has to be the best sound that you can make every single time you make a sound on your horn. Right. That doesn't go away either. That will never go away. So and even if it's on one note sing that note as much as you can like play that note and have your sound your best sound um okay so uh then there's this other section that is i i, I list i i called like balancing the physical and mental right because and i think we talked a lot about this already like your your sound concept has to be solid already and you need to know that you are building the tool that will ultimately allow you to create the music that's in your head, right? So you're don't stop developing as a musician just because you are physically behind. Like you, this was something that I, I sort of stumbled on while, while I was going through my embouchure change. I was like, I was like, well, I can only play, you know, one octave, so I'm going to make sure I can do absolutely everything possible in that one octave. So I didn't let my multiple tonguing be affected or my single tonguing or my flexibility or my dynamics or like any, or my music for that matter to be affected just because I had to drop something an octave. I still need to make that phrase and I still need to arrive on that note, even though I'm dropping it down an octave, you know, um, those are all things that should not suffer just because, and, and that will actually ultimately help you through this process because you are you're continuing to be a musician yeah absolutely you know and you're continuing to balance your playing and so all of those things are expanding instead of just like okay now i can play all the range of the trumpet now let me see if i can double tongue above the staff you know which is what you know sometimes happens when people get hyper focused on a thing um This is a really frustrating, but also a really rewarding thing 
Uh, and we again, we talked about that, but you just need to know that there will be days that you need to have more breaks, you know, more mental breaks, more physical breaks. Um, and, and that can be that's sometimes frustrating. And there may be times where you have to just like play for like 30, 45 minutes and then not touch your horn, yeah, you know, just yeah. for your sake, because you're you'll have those days where you're like, absolutely nothing feels the way that it felt the day before because of whatever else you had to do, you know, cause this, this process isn't unfortunately just a summer. It's going to be, you should expect for it to be multiple years that you're going through this and, and addressing. But again, as Matt said too, the, the thing about it though, is, is that you, you're not just saying the amateur change is going to be a multiple year thing. And so you're just going to be three years behind. Like he said, right. You can continue to improve upon every skill possible. You're just limiting potentially the range and the length of time with which you can work on those things. I mean, it's a multiple year process for any to get anybody to get better at anything, you know, multiple tonguing, articulation, dynamic control, range, endurance, like those things are, Exactly the same thing. So we're not saying when he says it's like, you know, multiple years, it's like the complete package of feeling like you own all of it and you can do it at all times. Not necessarily just your embouchure change won't feel good for like three years. Right. And well, and right. The goal here, and I I should say this up front, the goal here is up front would have been an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, I know. (laughs) The, uh, The the goal, the goal is, um, at least my goal for my students is, you know, what I tell them, like, when you're leaving here as an undergrad, I want you to be what, no matter what your major is, I want you to be good enough, good enough to get into, uh, you know, one of the top 20 music programs in the country. Right. I want you to be good enough to get into that. And, you know, in most cases, I even tell them, like, I want you to get into a top 10 one. You know, like, that is my goal for you, to be able to be there. If you're a graduate student and you have to go through this process, I my goal for you is to be good enough to be a good enough trumpet player to be able to win a job. You know, maybe, maybe there's some more preparation that needs to be, you know, musically, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But as fundamentally as a trumpet player, you should be able to create a sound and sound like a professional trumpet player by the time you like on everything in your range, everything in your ability, you should be able to sound like a professional. So when I say it's a multiple years thing, that's the goal. It's not just feeling slightly comfortable and being able to play like an undergrad. Sure, sure. You know, just wanted to make that clear. It's yeah. It's a more long-term, overarching, right. year, year-long year thing, not necessarily. It should, like we said, a month, two months, if you're being really diligent about it, if you're just starting one, like you should be able to get to a point where it feels a little bit more comfortable in a much right. shorter amount of time. That's I just want to make that very clear so it's right, not right. discouraging that. Oh, no, no. Yeah, no. no, that's part of the reason for this. So. Yeah. Um, and then you, you need a support system, for sure, um, whether it's you know, but a lot of times it was my non-trumpet playing friends that were my support system. And some of my trumpet playing friends, some that were either going through the same thing or some that were not going through the same thing, um, or mentors. I didn't necessarily have any when I was older, but I ended up being one, uh, when I was a TA in my graduate programs for undergrads that were going through it, like being able to just sit down and play some super easy duets and yeah, like, yeah. Hey, let's transpose this, you know, whatever. Um, but like for me, it, you know, a lot of it was, uh, like my, my 
family, you know, my, my family or my mom or, or whatever. And I would say, <laughs> she's like, I distinctly remember times where, you know, you were really frustrated or whatever. And, and she would just come in and, you know, say, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Ultimately at the end of the day, it's not, it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's that, there's that, again, this is a completely other podcast, but not tying your happiness and your worth as a human being to how you play the instrument. That would, yeah, that podcast That's, is coming out. Yeah, good. I've already done it. You've listened I, yeah, to it. Yeah, I have. It's, but anyway, yeah, if you haven't listened to it, you should. Well, That's a good yeah, one. I don't think it'll be out when this one comes out, but oh. it'll be close. Okay. It'll be July. So, July, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of like technical things here, but so essentially. So, do you feel like, do you feel like you could, Give me that yes. document. Yep. All right. So what's yep. going to happen is Matt's going to give me the document. Way. He's looking at his computer and I'm going to put it on my blog or a link to it on my blog, you know, upload it to Google Docs or something like that. And if you want all sorts of more information, this document is very long. It's extensive. It's years of doing. You can go ahead and look through that. Um, but we wanted to give just as not general. I mean, we wanted to dig into it to give tips and things like that. But just I was going to ask Matt th- Three questions to, sure. to finish. And the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is related to this first question is just how prevalent do you think the need for embouchure changes are? I think um, my experiences have mostly been in, you know, the certain states where I've been teaching. So but one of the issues that I see a lot of from students that come from out of state and from, you know, Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, um, Virginia, places where they have these uh, uh a large focus on, um, on, you know, marching stuff. That's, that's where we get into trouble, like marching bands, because a lot of times they're starting before the students are even really secure in how they play their instrument. And then they're being asked to move around and do that. And then they, they do whatever they have to do. Um, I'll be totally honest with you. I think I had an incoming class of about 12 people this year, 12 freshmen or transfers um, this year. And I asked uh, them in a studio class one time, and this was my freshmen and sophomores. And I said, I was like, how many of you in the last two or three years have had to make some sort of like mouthpiece adjustment or like embouchure change? And every single one of them raised their hand. And again, that might be this area, I can't speak to what it's like in, in areas where I haven't lived or I haven't taught, but I think the like sort of like lower mouthpiece is, is becoming more of a prevalent thing. And so it's most likely something that everybody, every trumpet teacher to an extent is going to have to deal with, whether it's I one, so. one student or it's, especially if you're teaching high school you know, like at a college that's not like Rice, you know what I mean? Like if you're teaching at every, mostly every college possible, university possible, you might have at least one student that this might be the fix and this might be the change and getting them on a good path. And I just, I I feel, I agree. I think you see it and you don't even recognize it sometimes. Mm -hmm. You just see these kids who struggle and then I approach uh, my my experience with this is with that kid that I, I, I sent you a picture of and he was playing and we spent one full like 50 minute lesson of me saying, well, you got to have a strong concept in your head of what you want and (laughs) you got to release the air like that. And I approached it in every way possible. And then I got close to him and I was like, oh, his mouthpiece is in the red. So his buzz is stopping when he pushes up high. I moved it up and he could play the trumpet just fine. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I, 
Not that I should have done that instantaneously, but that is clearly the fix that needed to happen. You could have the strongest concept in the world. And if right. your mouthpiece, if your buzz and your setup is stopping you from doing that, it doesn't matter. So I think everyone's going to have to deal with it to an extent. And that's kind of why we wanted to put Matt agreed, I think, that we should put this out as a resource for people and using yeah, his expertise. So, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Are you ready for the two questions? Oh, man, I guess so. All right. So I watched this video one time where Thomas Gonch said he has like two or three different embouchures for like whether he has to play high or he has like double tongue. Well, if he has three embouchures, why can't I? (laughs) Tell you what, when uh, when you sound like Thomas Gonch, then you can do whatever you want. Okay, that answers the second question, which is Doc Severinsen looks like he has tons of tension when he plays. Like, why is it not okay for me to look like I have tension? Now, that's because you don't have Doc Severinsen's air and you don't have Doc Severinsen's job where, you know, you're in showbiz. And if everything looks as easy as it is for Doc, because, I mean, let's be honest, you can't play like that for a lifetime with you know, as much effort as it may look like Tim. But I mean, if you watch those young, the, the, the earlier videos of, of doc, I mean, he's moving, like there is a ton of air. And I think, uh, you know, uh, I, I, Bud Herseth did a class at Michigan when I was there and he he was like, (laughs) he literally said about pressure. He said, somebody said, how, how do you, how do you deal with this? He was like, ah, you just wipe the blood off and you keep going. There you go. And he said, he basically said, you know, yeah, I have to use, I have to use some pressure. I have to use some tension. He was like, but I have enough air back there yeah. that it balances it's just it balanced. out. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, the thing. We're looking for balance. And, and like I said, I went through a period where I, I played on, you know, this answering the other question. Uh, I played on three embouchures. Right. You and, mentioned that. That's what made me, I was looking for that. That's why I was just looking for the video. Yeah. And it's, and it's great that someone can do that, but that's, like he, I bet you he can play on one embouchure really, really well. Yeah, I think the the the, the idea I'm driving at here is that just because you see it happening right. does not mean that you should do it. And generally speaking, having a fundamental understanding yeah. of how to work the trumpet about the same is what generally most professional players yeah. do. I mean, you if you look yeah. at the outlier and you base everything right. that you're going to do on the outlier, right. you're going to, you're, you'll be able to find anything that can support problem. any single thing that you want to think. So what we're saying here is having a fundamental understanding of what's going on with your trumpet playing is going to yeah. benefit you more than like, well, Thomas Gonch can do this. Like if you can do it and you can sound like Thomas Gonch, then I'm not going to tell you to stop. But most people don't sound like Thomas Gonch. It's true. And most people aren't going to sound like Doc. And so we're trying to provide a thing that says, man, if you have some struggles, this might be a possibility. And hopefully you feel like a little bit more uh, encouraged or prepared or whatever word you want to put there about approaching and tackling something like an embouchure change. So... Yeah. Do you have any final words that you want to throw out there? I'll just throw it out there. Um, I have people contact me all the time, like asking questions about this, and I'm happy, happy, happy to well, how answer would they do that? any of that. Well, you can, of course, always find me on Facebook, or you can uh, email me, uh, and my website or my email is up on LSU's website. Um, and you actually use that. And I do. I okay. answer my emails every single day. I don't answer yeah. my Sanford. I, I have to. Yeah. Or you can find me at matthew.vangel at gmail.com. And that's so, fine, too. Any questions for the master of this kind of thing? I'm sure he'd be more than happy to do this. <laughs> don't Matt's call a, me that. <laughs> uh, Matt's definitely a very, very giving guy. So don't hesitate to... That's, that's what he's offering. Yeah. So don't hesitate to um, get in touch with him. 
If you need to get in touch with me, I have a website, thatsnotspit.com. You can find a blog post and all sorts of things there, as well as links to my various social media accounts. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed other episodes of the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes and leave uh, a five-star rating. Um, Or I guess if you think it's worth a four-star or something like that, but five-star feels nicer than four. (laughs) And uh, you know, if you want to leave a review or a nice review, that would really, really help me out. I'd really appreciate that. Um, I would like to... Thank Brandon Yoakum for mastering this episode uh, of the podcast and all of the episodes. He does a really, really wonderful job making sure these things sound really great. And most of all, well, I'd like to thank Matt one more time well, thank for you, being Andy. here. And then most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for sticking with us all this time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we'll see you next time. Next time.